0: Lord Jesus, we thank you for your wonderful word and we pray that you would in a very, very striking and moving and powerful way give us, Lord, wherever we're listening a keenness an alertness really to listen to what Jesus is saying to his church in these Very, very important times. Help us, Lord, when we are afraid. Afraid of what will happen. Afraid of what the future holds. To find our minds and hearts being turned to Jesus by Him, our friend. Our Saviour, our Lord, our all. Thank you for Jesus and His words help us now to listen and do what they see. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Mark thirteen. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Luke, teacher, I mean, there, there they are. It's an extraordinary structure. Some of the blocks, the stone blocks in the temple were 50 feet square. Extraordinary structure. Luke, teacher, Maybe it was Peter or John or James. And they said, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what magnificent buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, if you were a Jew, the disciples were Jews, even if they were moving towards being uh, believing in, in Christ Jews that was an extraordinary thing to contemplate and see and as he sat on the Mount of Olives, just at one of the hills opposite the temple in Jerusalem Peter and James and John asked him privately tell us when will these things be now they're obviously asking about when will the temple and Jerusalem be destroyed And Jesus doesn't answer that question. He points them way forward to the future. Read with me. Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. In other words, he's saying that the destruction of the temple is not the end. Just one step nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom there will be earthquakes in various places there will be famines the other gospel writers talk about there will be periods of disease on the earth these are but the beginning of the birth pains be on your guard for they will deliver you, that's uh, Christians, through the centuries ahead over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. Verse 10 is like a, a diamond on the black cloth. All this tribulation and trouble. And yet the gospel goes to every nation on the earth. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So Jesus, they ask him a question about when these stones are going to break in the temple. He points them forward way down through history. Now he's back in verse 14 on the destruction of the temple, just around the corner. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, Let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter, for in these days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, Luke, here is the Christ, or Luke, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets would arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand and now he shifts again back to the further horizon in those days after the tribulation the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now back again to the near horizon. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass, but my words will not pass away. for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Now, I try to give you some hints as we went through as to what's going on in this uh, chapter, but um, a little more explanation, I suspect is required let me try and show us now mark 13 this whole chapter and we're back here next week as well uh, with lots of practical applications but mark 13 is uh, a prophecy So a prophecy jesus is speaking about the future about what will happen in the future this is the last week remember of his life Jesus is talking about the future. And there are two key events. Two key events he is speaking about that are referred to a number of times in the chapter. Two key events in salvation history. Now, as I said, this is the week of his death. It's the early 30s AD. And that's when Jesus said these things in this chapter about the future. Mark wrote his gospel in the early 60s AD based on the Apostle Peter's eyewitness testimony. And that's a number of years still before the first of these events took place. When Mark wrote his gospel, the events prophesied here hadn't happened. They are still in the future. Two key events. Number one, the final destruction of the temple and Jerusalem that happened in 70 A.D. Now, the siege of Jerusalem, led by the future Roman emperor Titus, began in April AD 70 at the beginning of the Passover. Jesus is speaking now, of course, at the beginning of the Passover. The siege lasted for four months, ending with the burning and the complete destruction of the temple and much of the city, and the death and captivity of the Jewish population. If you went to Rome today, you could go and see as a tourist the Arch of Titus, celebrating Rome's destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. It still stands in the city of Rome today. Now, why was the temple and Jerusalem destroyed? Why is Jesus predicting that? The answer that Mark has given us through his gospel is that it is Jesus, God's final judgment on corrupt Judaism. Now, that's the first key event described in this chapter. Remember, it's prophecy. Jesus is pointing us forward to that first key event. The second key event that's all over this chapter, and you may have picked this up as we read it, is the return of Jesus at the end of the church age or at the end of the last days. Now, the phrase the last days means the time between the resurrection and ascension of Jesus when he returns to be with his father. That's just a very short time after Jesus spoke these words of prophecy, after his death, after his resurrection, then his ascension. That's the beginning of the last days. And the last days runs all the way through until he returns to the earth again, what we refer to as his second coming and Jesus will come back in a blaze of glory he was born in a stable as a servant who would give his life he will return in glory and power and all eyes will see him When he returns, he will come as judge of all. And his return will mark the beginning of the new creation, where the dead in Christ will be raised to life. And all those who are alive in Christ in all the nations of the earth will be gathered. and They will live in the new creation. And those who have rejected Christ will be raised or gathered to everlasting judgment. Now that's the second event that is described in these chapters. Two key events. And Jesus speaks about these two key events, and I tried to show you this as we read, by moving back and forward between the two. Let me try and show you now. So if you have the text in front of you, whether in your Bibles or in the service sheet. Firstly, verses 1 and 2 focus on the first event, the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem, God's final judgment on corrupt Judaism. So as we saw, the disciples say, Luke, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Some of the temple buildings were 50 meters high. I mean, that's a bit like the shard in the ancient world. Covered with gold and silver. Beautifully carved stonework. The foundations built out of huge cut blocks of quarried limestone. 50 feet wide, 25 feet high and 15 feet thick. The temple symbolized the power of Judaism, and Jesus said to them, There will not be left here one stone. So we're not talking about damage, we're not talking about the temple falling into disrepair not one stone will be left standing. Now, it's hard for us to appreciate the impact of what Jesus was saying. As I was prepping this week, I found some great YouTube videos that describe, and i encourage you to look this afternoon, some YouTube videos that describe in very powerful ways what actually happened when the temple was besieged by the romans over that four-month period and destroyed and it really helps you appreciate the enormous significance of the event that's verses one to two and then verses three to thirteen just look with me jesus shifts his focus to the second event his return as judge now the disciples questions verses three to four are about the first event maybe they thought that was the end of the world you would have had you been them But Jesus' answer says that's just the beginning. And he points them forward to a future event way down the track of history, his return as judge, and specifically in verses 5 to 13, what the disciples or what all followers of Jesus after them are to expect before Jesus returns as judge of all. Now I'm going to jump the gun till next week. What Jesus says, you should expect in the period between his ascension and his return is exactly what you see with your eyes when you look at the world in which we live. A turbulent world, a weak church, Human power. Now, then in verses 14 to 23, Jesus shifts back to the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. Now, some details to note. Uh, The first half of verse 14 refers to the abomination of desolation. Now, that's a specific quotation from the Old Testament prophecy of Daniel. In Daniel 9, 11 and 12, references made to the abomination of desolation, which was pointing then to the desecration of the temple by a man called Antiochus, Epiphanes in the second century BC. And that desecration had included the sacrifice of a pig in the temple. And according from Daniel, Jesus is equating what happened then with what will happen in AD 70. And historians record how Titus, having secured the temple site in AD 70, the first thing he did was to sacrifice a pig at the altar. Now the second detail I want us to note there are many more if we had time is the reference in the second half of verse 14 to those who are in Judea fleeing to the mountains. And tied to that the two references to the elect first in verse 20 and then at the end of verse 22 Jesus is referring to Jewish believers The Jews who believed in him as their Messiah, some of these believers, and history records this, fled Judea and Jerusalem before the siege in AD 70 and started a church in a place called Pella in the mountains east of Jerusalem. Now, was it reading Mark's gospel and Jesus' prophecy that spoke to their hearts and moved them to flee the city and the area around Jerusalem? Plausibly, yes. Jesus is also referring here, I guess, to some believers who would have remained in the city, maybe killed or enslaved. Yet they remained as God's elect, eternally safe in Jesus. Now, aside from the elect who are saved, those Jewish people who turned to Jesus as their Messiah, it is clear that for the majority who didn't, what is happening is God's judgment. And throughout history, God has used earthly powers and rulers to judge his people because they have rejected him, notably the Babylonians at the time of the exile, when the city of Jerusalem was taken and Solomon's temple destroyed. That judgment, though, was not a final judgment on the people of God, it was a warning. To corrupt Judaism then, but not a final judgment, the temple was rebuilt after the exile, known as the second temple, a modest structure. And in the 40 years before the birth of Christ, the temple was completely refurbished under the reign of Herod the Great and became the magnificent edifice that stood in Jesus' day. And now, God's agent of judgment against the Jewish religious leaders and corrupt Judaism that had rejected Jesus as their Messiah is Rome. Jesus had come to the Jews as their Messiah and they rejected him. God's judgment will fall on them. But this time, his judgment is final. The temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed forever. That happened in AD 70. And the temple has never and will never be rebuilt. And then verses 24 to 27 is back to the return of Jesus in those days. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. The Son of Man will come with clouds, great power and glory. It's clear the emphasis is here on Jesus' return at the end of the last days in judgment. He will gather or save the elect, those who have believed in him. But for the rest there will be eternal judgment. Jesus quotes again from Daniel, this time Daniel 7, the reference to the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And that takes us to the final two sections in Mark 13. It's the same pattern. He speaks about the imminent event and then the further event. Verses 28 to 31, the imminent event from the fig tree, learn its lesson, as soon as its branch becomes tender, puts out its leaves, you know the summer is near. The image of the branch of the fig tree becoming tender and the leaves on the tree, you know that summer is very near the point Jesus is making is that God's judgment on Jerusalem and the temple is very near. It's at the very gates, verse 29. Verse 30, perhaps Jesus is looking out from the Mount of Olives at all the crowds who are there. And he says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. In other words, this will happen this first key event in their lifetime they will be there they will see it and many did many were part of it do you believe me jesus says then heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not and it happened exactly as jesus predicted And then Jesus' teaching ends with verses 32 to 37, the return of Jesus at the end of the age, at the end of the church age, at the end of the last days. And these very famous words, if we know anything from Mark 13, there'll be these, concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun. That's extraordinary, and we don't have time to dwell on that. Jesus doesn't know Only the Father. Be on your guard. Keep awake. Now, there's a word for the church in the world today. Be on your guard. Do not sleep. Keep awake. Do the work that God has given you to do. Take the opportunities of the hour. Now, that's a walk through Mark 13. Now, I've wrestled this week as to how to preach this, and I think preaching it in two is wise, and it's helpful, I think, to have walked through the chapter. Somebody afterwards encouraged me and tell me that it was helpful to walk through the chapter to understand what's going on and then for the rest of our time this morning just a few more minutes and then next week I want to take that and apply it to us to answer the so what question and it's we can only really do that when we understand what God's word says And I hope you agree that what Mark is recording is Jesus speaking about these two future events, the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem in AD 70, that final judgment on corrupt Judaism and the return of Jesus at the end of the age. Now, a good question. Why does Jesus speak in this way? Why does he not instead say all that he has to say about the first event? And I put it in Mark chapter 10. And then say all that he has to say about the second event the return of Jesus and put that in Mark 13 and not confuse us by fusing them together now our starting point is to stop asking that kind of question and trust that Jesus knows what he is doing but to work out why he does that there are I think two reasons firstly the similarity between the events described both are God's judgment. God's judgment on corrupt Judaism and the return of Jesus at the end of the age to judge all. Both are visible, powerful demonstrations of God's judgment. And Jesus' return at the end of the age will bring judgment on all people from every nation of the earth, through the whole of the church age, all those who have rejected Jesus as their Messiah and their Savior. And we are meant to look at the destruction of Jerusalem in the temple, that final judgment on corrupt Judaism. We are meant to look at God's perseverance and patience with his chosen people, the Jewish people exhausted the rejection of Jesus as their Messiah, the final act of defiance, the mighty temple and all that it stood for destroyed, never to be rebuilt. The gospel will not go to the world through the Jewish people. The gospel will go to the world through the universal church, and we are meant to see all of that, the sight of God's final judgment in history, at the end of the age. What will it be like? It will be like on a global scale. What happened to Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70? God will tear down all the edifices and structures of corrupt religion religion that will not embrace Jesus as Messiah and Lord. God will tear down all human pretensions to power without God. God will shatter the statues of idolatry. God will humble the proud. Earthly kingdoms will be no more. And there will rise from the rubble of judgment a new creation where God's king will reign with all his believing people. So look at the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and so look forward to the destruction of the world and all humanity who reject Jesus. Both events are God's judgment. And both events are God's gathering of his elect, his believing people. They and only they are safe. Now, the second reason Jesus weaves these two events together in his teaching is this. And this, I think, to me, is the greatest encouragement, because he wants us to be absolutely certain that Jesus will return. Not when he will return, we are not to speculate about that, but the fact that he will. That's why Jesus weaves his teaching about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple with his teaching about the return of Jesus. These events are like two threads woven together in a cloth that cannot be unpicked. They are connected. They are two key events in the same salvation history. And there is more than the linking of these two events to convince us Jesus will return. The Old Testament has just over 300 references that point forward many of them very specific to Jesus' first coming as God's Messiah, King, to save us. Every single one of these 300 plus prophecies fulfilled exactly. Now that's enough to convince you to throw your Lord in with Jesus. Just that one fact. That belies any human explanation. So we stand in our place in history with all the prophecies fulfilled in his first coming, with all that he said to the letter about the destruction of the temple fulfilled, And all that is yet to happen is his return. That's what the future holds, says Jesus. Remember, it is Jesus who is speaking, the one who never lies. Now, next Sunday morning, God willing, we're going to look at uh, three practical applications from Jesus' teaching in this chapter. Let me just set them down for you and you can perhaps pray and think about them over the coming week. The practical teaching of this chapter is one, what we are to expect as believers in the time before Jesus returns. Secondly, what we are to do as believers in the time before Jesus returns. And thirdly, what will happen when Jesus returns. So what we are to expect, and this chapter spells it all out, what we are to do So in the middle of a period in history where it's tougher and tougher to be a Christian in the West, in the middle of a period of history where stuff like wars and famines and earthquakes and pestilences and diseases are all around us, in the middle of a period of history where the church, and I make no comment on this being wrong, I understand fully and we accept this, but nonetheless, churches have never been shut for hundreds of years in the middle of this period of history What is it that Jesus wants us to do? What is the work he has given us to do? And the third practical issue we will look at is what will happen when he returns. Let me uh, finish with uh, just a reference from Luke's gospel as to what will happen when Jesus comes again. I tell you, that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. A husband and a wife asleep in bed. One will be gathered One will be left. Two people playing golf. One will be taken, one will be left. Two people at the checkout in Tesco's. One will be taken. One will be left. Two people sitting opposite one another at their desks. One will be taken, one will be left. two clergymen, two people sitting in church, one will be gathered, one will be left. And until he comes, Jesus will plead with you with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and will to trust him so that you will be gathered and not left. And until he comes, the church's mandate is to plead with heart, soul, mind, and strength that people will trust Jesus so they will be gathered. For he will come. He will come as judge of all. And look out on our world today. And if that cries out anything, it is, he is coming. And trust him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your word is wonderfully sobering and wonderfully loving. How good it is in a world of uncertainty to hear the clear, clear teaching of Jesus Christ, the one who conquered death, saying what will happen in the future. Help us, Lord, to get ready for that future by being counted amongst the elect of God, by believing in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. The difference living life with Jesus as our Saviour or not is night and day, different worlds, different realms. Please, Lord Jesus. Lead those who do not yet know you to saving faith and inspire us all to tell people of Jesus and his return. Move us in our hearts. Give us passion, zeal, courage for the hour to do the work That Jesus has given us to do. For his sake and his glory. Amen.